Jesse Kelly Show. Let's have some fun on a Friday. An Ask Dr. Jesse Friday. And we have trans swimmer insanity today. Apparently, apparently people are finally having enough of this and speaking up. I am starting to get more and more suspicious over the Democrat response to what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. We'll talk about that. I have great question after great question after great question tonight. And identity politics. Identity politics. Do you hate it? Are you sure you hate it? Do we hate it as a country? Do people in general hate it? All that and much more coming up on the Jesse Kelly Show. But I want to begin actually with that. Because I saw this headline in the New York Post today. And it's, it's one, look, everyone will gloss over this headline today. It's Friday, it's March Madness, day after St. Patrick's Day. Maybe you're not feeling the best right now. But whatever the, for whatever the reason, this won't get any play at all. But sometimes the ones that don't get play are the ones that stand out to me. And the headline was this, New York Democrats snub Hispanic politicians and scramble to add speakers at the convention. This is just the first paragraph here. The New York State Democratic Party omitted Hispanic voices from its slate of nominating convention speakers until being called out for the, quote, egregious blunder at the 11th hour, then scrambled after claiming the list had been tentative to add a trio of Latino speakers. I'm not going to go into the details. It it doesn't matter. They had a convention. A bunch of Democrats having, having a convention, and... Somebody went down the list and decided there weren't enough Hispanics on there. And then they had to scramble to write that wrong. And it got me thinking, actually, about all of us and whether or not we like or hate identity politics. I'll be honest with you, totally frank. I'm thinking about myself. I know you're going to find that shocking. I'm thinking about myself, though, because I will tell you on the surface, I see headlines like this. And I think that's the dumbest, most ridiculous thing in the world. And in my own private life, I just don't care about that stuff at all. I just genuinely do not. I have friends from all walks of life, all socioeconomic backgrounds, all skin colors. And it's not that I don't have my own prejudices. It just doesn't have to do with things like that. I have prejudices. You have prejudices. We all do. It's just those things aren't anything I place a priority on. If you're the type of human being who shares my values, we're probably going to be okay with each other. And if you're not, we're not. And because that's how I try to look at the world, I look at this endless quest of identity politics as the most absurd thing in the world. But am I the minority? I can't help but feel like I'm the minority. Because otherwise, why would they do so much of it? And obviously, the Democrats are the worst at it. There's no question about that. Uh, where, where we have so many women, and do we have enough Hispanics at the convention? What about black people? Do we have gays? Oh, we got to get some trans people in the government. Obviously, they're crazy and obsessed with it. But it's not only them. I see it on the right as well. I see it all the time. Am I the minority? I think maybe, I think maybe people like identity politics a lot more than me, and I'm the abnormal one. 
I think people enjoy, I think they take special pleasure out of a politician talking directly to them in whatever their own way is. I'm just, I'm trying to picture in my head, though, what kind of identity politics I would find appealing that were directed at me. I think if, I think if a politician got up, and look, this is me, right? I'm more than willing to call out discrimination against white people in this country because there's plenty of it. It was in the, the, the big Biden piece of legislation they passed. White people went to the back of the line. So I'm happy to call that out. But I think if a politician got up and started talking to white people and just hardcore pandering to white people, whatever that would look like, I think I would be turned off. I think I would be extremely turned off. But am I wrong? Would I enjoy it? Chris, am I out of line here? That's exactly, Chris said, I'd like it if he talked to me as an American. That's exactly right. That's what I've always been dying for. Talk to all of us as, as one people, as Americans. Talk to all of us. And they don't do it. And I just thought, I saw the headline and I just thought, man, what an what a odd Sick obsession this identity politics is, and how look at how far look at how far it's dragged us down as a society. All, all the all the rage right now is this Leah Thomas dude who decided he was a woman, and now he's dominating in the swimming pool. Why is this? Why is everyone talking about this now? Well, the dude just took first place at the 2022 NCAA Division One Women's Swimming and Diving Championships. So he's out there dominating the women. It's gotten so bad. There's a Virginia Tech swimmer. God love her. I've been asking for someone to speak out. A Virginia Tech swimmer finally had enough and stepped up and said something. You're a Virginia Tech swimmer. It's a common conception that we are all very disappointed and frustrated with someone who is has capabilities more than us women have to be able to compete at this level and take opportunities away from other women. Like I have a teammate who did not make finals today because she was just bumped out of finals. And it's heartbreaking to see someone who went through puberty as a male and has the body of a male be able to absolutely blow away the competition. And you go into it with a mindset that you you don't have a chance, if that makes sense. Like it's hard to compete against someone with the aerobic capacity, the muscle development, the body of a man, it's hard. It's hard to think about it like that. And you said that one of your teammates was crying today because she didn't make the finals. Uh, You said that she was 17th and there were 16 spots. So uh, Leah Thomas took one of those spots. Uh, Talk to us about what your teammate uh, was going through and and that experience. She was very emotional and it's hard to see because it's her last NCAAs. And um, she really loves that race. And it was just heartbreaking to see that she put all her effort into it today. And when the best time that she's went in a morning session before and still not make it back. It's hard to see someone who works every day, every night, still not be able to compete against someone like that. And credit to Savannah Hernandez for conducting that interview and tracking them down. But look at what it's done to us. Look at the final fruits of identity politics and what it's done to us. And really, I mean, look, you could talk about women swimming or, or that individual swimmer who didn't make it. But why, why are we here? Why are we in a place where up is now down, where men are women and women are men? Why are we in a place where nothing makes sense anymore? I say we are here because of cowardice. I say this is the era of cowardice. I say we are here because so many people, the vast majority of people, 
see these things and they think about these things the exact same way you do. Only you will say something and they will not. This this way of thinking in this country, and I'll be honest, this is more my way of thinking of, hey, live and let live, just leave me alone. That way of thinking has doomed us to a society full of insane people. It's doomed way more than women's sports. It has doomed us to be led by the dumbest people in the history of mankind. The only way this person walks into Congress is if we have people who don't get involved and don't get aggressive. And, and do you support a no-fly zone in Ukraine? I, I, I support everything that has to do with punishing Vladimir Putin and helping the Ukrainians. Wouldn't that mean direct conventional warfare with Russia? I don't know what it will mean, but you know freedom is not free. So you don't know what a no-fly zone will mean. If you, if you have to shoot down Russian planes, I mean. Of course. So a conventional war with Russia. Listen, thank you. That's our fault. I'm not pointing at you individually, not pointing at me, although I'm sure I haven't done enough, but the only way society has gotten this insane and we're led by idiots and men are dominating women's swimming and the, 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 the highest levels of, of elected officials in this country, they're all 9,000 years old and they can't even put a sentence together. I mean, the only way this person gets in is we've been live and let live for far too long. If we can't have a no-fly zone, let us have our own, and we need the airplanes to come in. No, 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 no. This morning he was less on the on the ask for the um, uh, the policy, more on let us do it, help us get the planes. But also, there is a school of thought that thinks the anti-aircraft missiles and the rest are a very important way. Myself, when I see that that those tanks, that forty miles of tanks. I'd like to take out those tanks. Yeah, let's, let's just stop it there. The only way we get there as a country is if we've been live and let live for far too long. All right. It is an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday. Somebody has questions about Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, Ukraine. Should we be suspicious about the things we're seeing over there or the Biden response to all this? I'm going to talk about that in just a second. Listen. Practice with your weapon this weekend. There's, there's never been a moment in the history of mankind where somebody has been such a good shot and regretted it. Oh, man, I can't believe how straight I shoot. Dang it. No one's ever said those words. But there have been plenty of times where people have wished they could hit what they were aiming at and didn't. As a gun owner, you need to practice with your weapon. We have a responsibility to do so. And Mantis X lets you practice in your home. Dry fire practice in your home. You don't fire a shot. You don't spend a nickel on a gallon of gas right there in your home. And I want to be clear. It's not just target practice. They're giving you feedback. They're putting you through drills. You will get better. 94% of shooters say they get better within 20 minutes. Go to MantisX.com and get one today. MantisX.com. It is the Jesse Kelly Show. Great music selection, Chris. Yes, it is. That's the greatest rap song ever. 
<laughs> nah, it's an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday. Gosh, it's going to be a good night tonight. Why? We got some tamales. No, listen. No, hear me out. There's uh, uh, a lady in town, and her mom. She's Mexican, but her mom is like lives in Mexico, but comes up here and visits legally. It's all legal. Her mom comes up here and visits. Her mom makes these tamales from scratch and this green salsa from scratch. They're the greatest things ever. And since my entire life revolves around food, that means tonight's going to be a great night, no matter what it brings. <laughs> all right, let's get to some Ask Dr. Jesse questions. Dear handsome Oracle, here are some Friday questions. Biden, the bribed, he calls him, has been dragging his feet in helping Ukraine. Could it be in Biden's interest to let democratic Ukraine fall or negotiate the destruction of evidence from being accessed before being proactively supportive. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let's unpack something here. There is something that I definitely see happening with Ukraine. And, and I'm talking about the democratic response to Ukraine. There's, there's just no question things are going very, very poorly here at home. There's no question about it. I mean, from the border, inflation, gas prices, really almost everything will come second to inflation and gas prices right now because people can't afford. They, they can't afford to live. They can't afford to do the things they were doing. That's a big deal. That's creating a lot of anger towards the Biden administration. That, that is why they continue to redirect every single question and spend every single moment trying to point you towards Ukraine. I just want to dig into that a little bit more on the COVID relief. This will packet. be your third time. My third pet time, what, ask about COVID relief? Yeah. Well, it's substantive. You like substantive questions, so I just want to yeah, make sure. Yeah, well, while people are dying in Ukraine and all of that, yeah. People are dying Everything. from COVID, too. Um, the, do you plan to offset? She was asked a legitimate question about COVID. Oh, what about Ukraine? There is no question... Democrats love what's happening in Ukraine because it, tr it, it takes the public's eyes or at least it, it allows them to try to take the public's eyes off of what they're experiencing here at home. Have you seen people talk about California gas prices? Have you seen New York gas prices? <laughs> Brutal. This coast to coast. People are getting slaughtered in this country. Now, I have I have a theory that that much I'm pretty much certain of. But I do have a theory. I think the Biden administration has not ramped up the Ukraine thing by sending them fighter jets or doing the no-fly zone. I think they've done that for two different reasons. One, this is, this is the first time in my lifetime the president, whoever, for whoever he is at the time, cannot get the public to rally about American involvement in a foreign conflict. Americans are simply not there. They look at what's happening to the Ukrainians. Their heart goes out to them. But when the second you suggest boots on the ground, Americans recoil in horror. And I mean, like 80, 90% of the country, all the elites want to send off your kids to die and my kids to die because they're not going to have to do it. But Americans in general, they're not buying it anymore. Between Afghanistan and Iraq, Americans are done with this whole thing. So the Biden administration, an unpopular administration, doesn't have the political capital to ramp it up. They don't have the political capital. The American people would lose their freaking minds. But there's a second part of it, and this is really my, we're getting to my theory portion of it. 
my theory portion. My theory is this. Half measures. I despise half measures. Maybe you do. Maybe you're a half measure person. I'm not. Now, that has gotten me in serious trouble several times in my life. When I take chances, I take big chances and I go all in with both feet. I don't like half measures. I don't like dipping my toe in the pool. I'm going in head first, baby. I hate half measures. What we're doing in Ukraine right now, it's the definition of half measures. We are sending them a bunch of javelins, sending them some body armor, sending them some weapons. But in the end, that's not going to be enough to defeat a much larger, more powerful Russian military, in my opinion. I could be wrong about that, but I don't think I am. In the end, they're still going to lose, and we're simply dragging the conflict along longer than if we didn't send them anything. So here's the Jesse Kelly theory part of this. I think that's on purpose. I think the Biden administration loves this conflict because it's a way, once again, to direct people's eyes away from how bad things are at home. I don't think Joe Biden wants Ukraine to win. I don't think he wants Russia to win. I think he wants them to fight on forever, at least until the midterms. I think the half measures are on purpose because look, if you're, if you're the type of person and I'll be honest, this is me. If you're the type of person who just wants the thing to be over so Ukrainian women and kids can stop dying, then you're honestly better off not sending them anything or sending them everything. You know what I mean? Send them a, a, a couple regiments of Marines or send them nothing at all. Cause at least either one of those ways, the conflict ends quickly. Half measures though. Oh, here's some javelins. Here's some body armor. Here's some guns. Half measures, all they do is guarantee an extension of the conflict. Therefore, giving these people an extension of talking points just like this. I just want to dig into that a little bit more on the COVID relief. This will be your third time. My third time, what? Ask about COVID relief? Yeah. Well, it's substantive. You like substantive questions, so I just want to yeah, make sure. Yeah, while people are dying in Ukraine mm-hmm. and all of that, yeah. People Gives them an extension too. of so things like this. It's important to dispel some of those who say, well, it's the government spending. No, it isn't. The government spending is doing the exact reverse, reducing the national debt. It is not inflationary, A. B, uh, we don't want to reduce the... Um, uh, increasing jobs, and feel very proud of this president breaking records. His historic numbers of jobs created in the first year, but this starts with Putin because of global inflation for reasons beyond. It's all Putin's fault. It's all Putin's fault. Hey, can you talk about COVID? People are dying in Ukraine. Uh, okay, well, what, what about inflation? You guys are spending a bunch of money. That's Putin's fault. Half measures. Half measures guarantee they get to use Putin as the scapegoat on and on and on. All right, black guy wrote in, wants me to talk about a black issue, and I'm not sure I'm going to tackle this one, so we're tackling it together. Hang on. It is the Jesse Kelly Show. I, 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 look, I, I still can't figure out what I think about identity politics. No, don't get me wrong. I know I hate them, 
but I can't stop snickering about New York Democrats. Oh, we don't have enough Hispanics at the convention. Someone quick, call some Hispanics. It just I find that to be such a bizarre way to look at the world, but I feel like I'm in an extreme minority. I mean, there are people out there that apparently this is very common. They'll look at a picture of a, a boardroom, a bunch of bunch of CEOs or, or people on a board or, or, or a classroom, and they'll start counting. Oh, hold on. Do we have enough of, oh, man, are there enough Hispanics in there? We're short on women. Get, get some more women. I, I find that to be such an odd way to look at the world. I don't get it. I don't get it. And it's time for something else we have to tackle here. Let's see. We're tackling this one together on an Ask Dr. Jesse Friday. Remember, you can email the show your love, your hate, your death threats. Everything's welcome. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. You can even email your Ask Dr. Jesse questions during the show. Jesse, I am a black American who started listening to your show on the radio because you seem to be real down-to-earth, opinionated Caucasian guy, which is, rare to, which is a rarity to hear on the East Coast. I have a few questions. I would like to know why you won't go into detail and discuss the real issues that affect people like me and so-called liberal black communities. You already know the truth will not be discussed on the radio by popular black radio hosts, popular black radio show hosts about why black men are exterminating each other off the face of the planet and how mothers of black children are contributing to this fact with the help of Democratic politicians who just throw money and free things at black people to shut them up. I know taking the reins to discuss the truth could lead to backlash from angry black people who prefer to live in a fantasy world, but maybe with your unorthodox approach, you can ease the pain and unplug them one at a time from what I call the liberal matrix. He says I can use his name. His name is Victor. Okay, look. As you know, I'm more than happy to discuss uncomfortable things. And I'm, I'm obviously, everyone knows this by now, I'm more than happy to discuss things other people won't discuss. I talk about, look, we talk about religion. We joke about religion. You're never supposed to do that. We talk about race. We talk about racial tensions. But you ask me about the problems in the urban black community, and I do want to clarify this. I separate this from black people. Because I have black people all over my area, and when people point out, uh, maybe you're pointing out New York City, the Bronx, gang problems, killing each other, people on the right and left will lump all black people into that. Oh, look at those black people. That's not a skin color thing. I've got black people all around me. Um, None of them are gangbangers. They're all business owners, construction workers. Actually spent the night last night with the black bucking bull rider. You know the rodeo bucking bull guy's guy who's like sixty five years old. So I don't, I don't associate that with skin color. So when I talk about, you're talking about problems in the urban black community. This is not a problem of skin color. This is a problem of location. The urban black community obviously has it really, really, really bad in this country. Really bad. And they're on this death cycle where it keeps getting bad. Because how it stands right now is, okay, so there's a lot of drugs and crime in these communities. There are so many innocent people who live in these communities who have to be surrounded by this crime at all times. I've talked about it a thousand times. It it should not happen in America that an eight-year-old has to worry about getting stabbed or shot in school. 
That's crazy. That's insanity. Yet, again, I bring up the Bronx. That's the norm. That's the norm. And I don't mean to pick on the Bronx. Pick your area of, of urban black areas in this country, and they're in a horrible state of disrepair. But here's the thing. You want me to discuss it in what way? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to say? There's a never-ending cycle there that, one, I'm not in that community. I'm not black. I'm not a community leader. I don't know what you want me to say and how to unpack it. Yes, there is a, a cycle of violence there where black people are killing each other all the time, and it's absolutely terrible. I will tell you, having talked to a bunch of cops in my life, white and black and Latino and every other way, they'll really tell you it's a drug gang problem when it comes to all that murder. Like, uh, Chicago's an easy one to bring up. I've been picking on the Bronx enough. Chicago's an easy one to bring up. People bring up Chicago's murder numbers all the time. Well, there are a lot of problems in Chicago, yes, but the murder numbers, you know why they're there? Because if you look at Chicago, pull up a map of the United States of America. If, well, but not if you're driving, not if you're driving, but it's on your phone. If you're not driving, look at a map of the country. I mean, look at it. Maps oftentimes help you tell the tale. Look at a map of the United States of America. What do you see? What do you see when you look at Chicago? Practically in the center, right? Not only in the center, kind of in the center up north, close to Canada, kind of a central hub. Chicago has become a central hub for the drug cartels to bring in product and sometimes produce product into the country, and then they disperse it to the country from there. Well, when you have it's it's a a big Walmart distribution center for drugs. That's what it is. That's what it's become. Well, when you have that, you're going to have a ton of money attached to that. Okay, so now you have something there that that creates an opportunity for poor people. To go after the cash. That's always going to result in violence. Always. So that's a big part of it. But you bring up, uh, you bring up uh, mothers of black children and whatnot. And what do they used to call What was that word? I think it was Clinton who actually called them welfare queens or something like that. Well, again, what do you want me to do? I mean, what do you want me to do? Come on here and trash black women? That's not all black women. That's not fair. There are tons of wonderful black women out there. It's a problem of government policy. Of government policy. You sit and hand out checks to people for this and checks for that and checks for that. Then you simply, you own them. And look, from a macro level, and I'm not, I'm not shying away from it, but from a macro level, let's understand. So many of the problems we have in the country itself, and the country itself, come from tying businesses or demographics or these people in financially to the government. Part of the reason all the corporations, not all of them, but lots of the corporations suck so bad in this country, and they're always taking the government line. Remember when they tried to pass the totally unconstitutional vaccine mandate? I mean, there's no way any president has that authority. Remember how many companies just lined up and started doing it right away? Why? Because they're tied financially to the government. They're tied financially to the government. The government controls the purse strings. They take the purse strings away. You see that same kind of stuff happening in the urban black community. But the problem is this. It's a cycle that never ends until the people within that community decide to end it. You know, this, this is nothing. You, you want me to try to, what you, what you say, unplug them from the liberal matrix 
Man, I don't have the power to do so. Yeah, obviously, a lot of people are listening to the sound of my voice right now. Maybe it wakes someone up. But what is needed is community leaders to step up and say, enough. And no, I don't mean Al freaking Sharpton and Jesse Jackson. I mean real leaders who don't want to run to the camera every time a black guy gets shot to the cops and scream about racism and how this is worse than Jim Crow. I mean real leaders getting things back in order. Back in order. But understand, just because the urban black community is in a real rough period right now, that also doesn't mean it lasts forever. These things tend to go in cycles. And you know what? I'll explain what I mean by that here in just a second. Hang on. Jesse Kelly returns next. It is the Jesse Kelly Show. And remember, if you missed any part of the show, you can download the whole thing on iHeart, Google, Spotify, and iTunes. On iTunes, leave a five-star rating and a review talking about how handsome I am. It's important for the show, Chris. <laughs> it's an ask Dr. Jesse Friday. We're going to get back to the other emails in just a second. But I got this uh, email from this black guy in New York. And he wanted to know if I'd be willing to talk about the problems in the urban black community. And I, I, I left it off with this. And I'm just going to wrap it up with these, these two things. There's no question the urban black community is obviously in a really, really rough spot right now in the country. But if you actually think about it, I want you to sit, just take a step back. Things generally help if you take a step back. How long has the urban black community been in a really bad spot in this country? You know, post-slavery, the black community in the country really, really was flourishing for a long time. For a long time. Obviously, I'm well aware of the Jim Crow laws and how bad it was, especially in areas of, of the South and things like that. But, but the black community was strong families, strong. That's what it was. It was really growing and, and really, really vibrant. But then they started to pass all these laws. A lot of this came back to the, all this LBJ Great Society stuff where he thought he could buy the votes of the black community in the country. So they started passing all these horrible welfare things and whatnot. And that really dragged the black community down. And so now the urban black community is in a bad spot in the country. But that doesn't last. Look back, not even for the world, look back at the history of America, at the various minority communities at one point or another and how rough they had it. I mean, we joke about this stuff now, but honestly, the Irish, the Irish when they came over here were treated like trash, absolute trash. You could go look at science today. Irish need not apply. You couldn't even get a job. And they were poor, uneducated, couldn't get a job. Therefore, their neighborhood became crime-ridden. The Italians, same daggone thing. Italians were, I mean, I like to joke about that, but in all seriousness, they were treated like trash when they got here. Second-class citizens, every racist name you could come up with for a period of time and then came out of it. Jews, same thing. Jews were an extreme minority in the country. Now, obviously, Chris is raising his hands. I realize you. I realize that the education level was a little different, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for chiming that in. But, but in all seriousness... Went through a rough period of time. That's why there were all those Jewish gangsters, gangsters, Meyer Lansky, Bugsy Siegel, all these guys. I think 
just from an outside perspective, I think black people oftentimes can be too hard on black people and too hard on the black community and think it's all worthless and we suck and we're not going to make it. I think that you're going to come out of it eventually. And one final thing on this, I was ripping on Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson because they're both scumbags. Al, Al Sharpton hates my guts, by the way. I love it. It's hilarious. But um, they're both total scumbags. And I admit that, and you know that. That's not exactly a secret. But the right, the Republican Party has also made a mistake. We have made a mistake, and this has been our mistake. We have avoided going into the urban black community simply because we look at the, the demographics of how they vote and we think we can't win. Well, let me clarify something. Joe Collins is a great example. You probably never heard his name. He ran for Congress against Maxine Waters. Maxine Waters, of course, is just the most detestable member of Congress, just a horrible human being all around and an idiot. Joe Collins runs against her. Black dude, Navy veteran. I've interviewed him a couple times. And he just says, look, a lot of guys in my area, they've never met a Republican until they met me. They've never met one. But what happens is the parties themselves, they end up growing an animosity to people who have animosity towards them. It becomes, it becomes one of these things that just continues to happen and the cycle continues. Uh, look at Democrats and white people. The Democratic Party hates white people. There's no question about it. They crap on white people every chance they get. Well, if you look at the poll numbers, the more Democrats have crapped on white people, the more white people have left the Democratic Party and not returning. And therefore, Democrats look at those numbers and say, OK, well, screw white people. Forget about them then. And so it never ends. They hate the hate continues. The GOP has done this a lot with black people as well. And, and instead, we do outreach things or supposed outreach things like, oh, we'll just let them out of prison. Hold on. How about let's financially back some of the candidates who run in these urban black neighborhoods? But, Jesse, they're not going to win. They're not going to win now. They're not going to win next cycle or the cycle after that or the cycle after that. But what if they win 10 years from now? Democrats in this country play the long game. What if you could have a black Republican in the Bronx elected? That's possible. You realize that. You're never going to do it if you don't go talk to them. If we stay away from these communities, whatever community we've decided to write off, you know, you'll look at oh, the, the Bronx. Oh, gosh, they vote 99% Democrat. I'm not going there. No, that means you should go there because 99 can turn into 95 and can turn into 85. It can turn into 75. And before you know it, you're a couple cycles away from possibly winning elections. I think the party makes a gigantic mistake. I think both parties do. But it's clearly human nature because they both make the same mistake. The Democrats make this mistake with white people. Republicans make this mistake with black people. Because they don't vote the way you want them to vote, you write them off. Well, now you've guaranteed they're never going to vote the way you want them to vote. You're never going to. There. How about that? Big, long race discussion, Chris. I'm sure, that, I'm sure the emails will look great after that. <laughs> Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Don't worry. I mean, your hate is more than welcome. It's totally fine. And for all those crazy left-wing news outlets out there that, that follow me, which is hilarious that that's a thing, but they follow me and they try to get you to trip something up, 
Just remember, as always, there will be no apologies. In fact, if you demand one, then I'm going to come on the show again on Monday and I'm just going to say the same thing over and over and over again because you try to get me to apologize. Oh, before I forget, we're talking a lot about protecting yourself in rough communities and stuff like that. Get yourself a hero gun. Whether you're a weapons guy or maybe you hate weapons, it doesn't matter. It's a non-lethal gun. It can either protect you or serve as a supplement to protecting you. It's just about the size of a cell phone. It shoots these projectiles 100 miles per hour. They explode on contact. They don't require a concealed carry permit. It's got a laser sight. Anyone can use it. If you've never touched a gun in your life, or your wife hasn't, or husband hasn't, or daughter hasn't, or mom hasn't, they can use a hero gun. It, it takes nothing. Go to Hero2020.com and use the code JESSE, and that actually gets you a special discount. Hero2020.com, code JESSE. All right? State restrictions may apply. Now, we have a ton of Ask Dr. Jesse questions here to go. Some are serious. Some are not so serious. I need to help somebody with their vacation plans. And also, Joe Biden. What's the family been up to? Hang on. <laughs> 